Welcome to the Previously Rockhounded Podcast, where we explore the world of rockhounding and lapidary from the ye olden days of the 1970s and 80s through the lens of vintage issues of Rock and Gem Magazine. This is episode 12. We're looking at Rock and Gem Magazine from June 1977. That's my favorite month in 1977. Really? Yes. Well, you don't have a favorite month for every year? Mm, that's a lot of favorite months. <laughs> I think uh, before we get into this issue, we have some unfinished business from the previous issue. The Rockhound Quiz. <laughs> yeah, last time on the last podcast, you took it and I didn't. I didn't know that we were doing the quiz. So we're going to do it now. It was a 10-question quiz. Uh, how many did you get right out of 10? I believe I got four. Oh, I got three. So you just barely beat me. I, I take issues with, with some of the, the questions. I don't feel like they necessarily have a correct answer. But sure, let's, uh, let's, let's go through these real quick. Some of them were very specific. You know, how, how would you even... You want to go through each, yeah. each question. Yeah. Number one, what gemstone was once believed to ward off drunkenness? Now everybody can take the quiz themselves and see if they yeah, can beat us. You can just hit the pause button there for each question. Write down your answer. Yeah. What did you get for number one? I remembered that it was amethyst from the amethyst article. I also read. got that. Yeah. I feel like uh, it doesn't actually do that. No. It'd be cool to have a cup made of amethyst. Mm-hmm. They make those. Get an amethyst crystal that's like big, like shot glass size. Cut the tip off, well, and the, then hollow out the middle. They of the did make drink. mugs that you could buy from the Thunder Bay amethyst like deposit, but it wasn't an actual crystal. It was just like massive. Oh yeah, so it's it not like, a crystal. It's just a piece of amethyst. Yeah, it's just like I think like a thick seam of quartz that is like purple. Sometimes, Which is technically amethyst, although it's not a crystal. In this magazine, there's so many ads. Like, like half of the pages are ads. But I feel like there's so many things that I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on eBay and see if I can buy that. Like, now later, I'm going to be like, I'm going to see if I could buy an amethyst yeah, glass. That's cool. Yeah. I don't think it'll ward off drunkenness. But I'm going to put that to the sure. test if you get one. Yeah. Number two. Where was the largest block of nephrite jade found in the U.S.? How much did it weigh? I said Washington, and I did not pick a weight. How would you even know? And that was not the correct answer. However, here's the thing. We are taking a quiz in the 70s, and as of currently, uh, the, the largest block of nephrite jade found in the United States is in Washington. Well, it was found in, I believe it was 2013. 2013 so that's why i said that well i I didn't transport myself mentally to the 70s yeah i guess add on to the end how where was the largest block of nephrite jade found in the u.s in night by 1977 (laughs) the answer was alaska it was 20 tons they transported transported it by sled apparently that would be the easiest way to move something of that size. It still took several winters. <laughs> Number three. 
What is Brazilian emerald? I have no idea. I didn't know either. It is green tourmaline. Sure. sure. Why not? <laughs> I don't know if it's sold. Maybe it's not sold as Brazilian emerald anymore. Number four. Where did the name turquoise come from? I have no idea. I didn't know either, but apparently it's the French name Pierre Turquoise, meaning Turkish stone. Which makes sense. Turquoise, Turkish. Um, number five. What is Chatoyancy? Yes. Uh, and I know what this is. It's the optical refraction that you see in minerals like tiger's eye. And there's actually a lot like labradorites where it's like a shifting spectrum bouncing off of it and into your eyeball. Yes. Do you know how to pronounce it? No. Yeah. <laughs> never Don't get the bonus to, point. No, never ask me to pronounce anything. <laughs> What's the difference between a sapphire and a ruby? Number six. The color. They're the same. Only the color. I guess that right. Um, number seven. Name three popular gemstones that are not minerals. It's a trick question. That's what I put down. I didn't know. Their answers are jet, amber, and coral. Sure, why not? Yes. <laughs> they are classified supposedly as organic gemstones. Number eight, will a Herkimer diamond scratch a ruby? What did you put? I said yes, but the answer I is I put no, no, because it's just quartz, and it's not a diamond. They're just calling yes. quartz a diamond. Accurate. Number nine, what are fairy stones? What is their official name? I put, <laughs> I put, I wrote down lame and something you would see on Facebook. Wait, so they are lame and their official name is something you would see on Facebook? <laughs> no, they did not mention Facebook in the answer key from 1977. I may have failed this one. Um... Apparently, it is stones found in, in the of a natural cross. They, I forgot a word there. Shape, stones shaped like a cross. Their official name is starolite, which I thought was one type of mineral. Yeah, I don't know. Isn't it? Maybe starolite is a descriptive word. I don't know. Last one, number 10. Where in the U.S. are diamonds found? I got this one right. I put down Arkansas, Colorado, and Wyoming. Did you count that as right? Because the correct answer is everywhere. I know. I wrote all over, and literally the answer key says practically all over. Well, here's the thing. Technically, diamonds can be found everywhere. And when they say everywhere, we're talking about diamonds that are on the size of the gr like grains of sand, like yeah. granular diamonds. Doesn't found. say large diamonds. The actual real diamond deposits that are of like mineable quality, like which diamonds come out of kimberlite deposits, and Arkansas, Colorado, and Wyoming would be three states that have the most abundant kimberlite deposits. 
Well, the so. answer key does mention three states, but those three states are Arkansas, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Well, I'm correct on everything. So does that one bring you up to four? Yes. So basically you got like three and a half. <laughs> okay, well, we'll go through three and a half. Okay, back to June 1977. This was a very field trip heavy, and I felt like it was a lapidary light issue. I'm okay with that. Yeah. There's been a lot of lapidary. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of good ads in this in this one. Uh, there was an ad. This is interesting. I thought this was interesting. There was an ad selling ivory from Africa along with a lot of other international materials. Mm-hmm. And when I think of the sale and trade of ivory, it's like a thing in the past, yeah. right? Like it's not a thing that would be happening relatively recently. You know, it's like the 70s, yeah. right? Um, so I looked it up. The trade of African and Asian elephant ivory, the ban on it, didn't go into effect in the United States until July 6, 2016. Hmm. So 2015, you could be buying and trading and whatever African elephant ivory here. I'm like, that, I for some reason thought it was, like, that happened a long time ago. Hmm. 2016 seems relatively recent for that. Maybe that was like an addendum to like, oh, you can't import ivory starting in this year, and then they're like, also you can't. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I I thought that was uh, that was interesting. What if something is made from ivory? Can you sell it? I have no idea. I think I had a set of dominoes. It was ivory, and they had such a satisfying sound when you clinked them together. I don't know what happened to them. I had a wooden set of dominoes <laughs> that were not satisfying to clink together. Um, I thought there was an interesting ad for this magazine because it was an ad for America's oldest popular mineral magazine. I wonder if they kind of were trying to imply oldest and most popular. Um... But it said, America's oldest popular mineral magazine is beginning its 51st year. So apparently Rock and Gem was not not, even, not close to the first. No. This one was called Rocks and Minerals. And uh, I was looking it up on eBay, and I found another magazine called Gems and Minerals. So nobody was very creative with their titles. They were really weren't. And that kind of br- brings me into just the ads in general in this issue for other magazines. There was more ads in this issue of Rock and Gem for other rock and gem and mineral-related magazines, like their competitors taking out ads in their magazine. But are they really competitors? Do you think people are like, I can only subscribe to one magazine about rocks? This was the first time I saw an ad for the Mineralogical Record. Which I, think, I feel like may, I've maybe seen it before. Been some but. before, but this one really uh, stood out because they're promoting a, a very specific issue. The Sumeb? Sumeb? Oh, issue. I didn't even notice that that was the mineralogical record. I just thought they're promoting something about this one place. So, a book. The 
Sueb, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Sueb Nambia in Africa is very well-known mineral locality with hundreds and hundreds of unique minerals coming from this, this one relatively small region, highly prized minerals. And in fact, we were recently in Butte, Montana at their mineral museum, and they had a display of minerals from this location. Hmm. Uh, it's that, that level of popular. Um, interesting, uh, interesting uh, I think at the time in which they were saying publishing this in 1977, there was 176 unique minerals coming from this region. Huh. When we were in Butte, the sign on their display said that the region produced 247 minerals, and in actuality, I believe it's 297 now, wow. as, as far as IMA goes. Um, IMA being the authoritative body on what makes a unique mineral. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that like to see like mineralogical record, rocks and minerals, like all these different uh, yeah. competitors taking out ads in this. I wonder if they... <clears throat> I wonder if they did a trade. Is there an ad in Rocks and Minerals for Rock and Gem? I don't know. Well, I do have some old issues of Mineralogical Record, and it is a, definitely a superior magazine. Yeah, the it's, Rocks and Minerals magazine, when I looked them up, I was like, what's in these? And the covers are just a photo of one mineral and they say what that is and that's the only thing on the cover like it's not like it's not as flashy as these where they're like oh field trips winter rock hounding rock hound wheels etc you know it's just like if more serious vibe to it i thought mineralogical record is very serious yeah it's not like there's no like tumble a thing and then glue it together it's yeah. like very like technical writing mm -hmm. um i mean if i had to kind of rank things it'd be like rock and gem would be the most beginner friendly then rocks and minerals which i have i have i've read some of these and then mineralogical record and then like academic papers what about gems and minerals i've never read gems and minerals it existed it did we should read um another different magazine do you have them from this era i i have a couple of mineralogical records do a bonus episode yeah um we always see ads for the gemological gemological institute of america they're in every single issue this one was a little new it said now in a city near you fascinating one and two week workshops so instead of like doing a correspondence, they're like coming to you to do a one and two week workshop to help you identify gems, which I know it's still around, but it feels a little scammy. It does. I mean, I think for us growing up, it was like um, become like a TV repairman. Like it was like there's like ITT, like yeah, like technical institute, like. Learn data entry, mm -hmm. be a dental hygienist, or whatever the thing was. And it's a little bit like that. It where it's feels like, like that. Like, learn how to be a TV repairman in your free time. Yeah. 
make an extra dollar. I mean, like, they're still around, so... Which yeah. also is like maybe they are just taking people's money and that's how they're still around. I don't know. Maybe they're good. Maybe they have great graduates from the Gemological Institute. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, there is an ad from Moab Industries selling slab saw kits huh. in 14-inch, 18-inch, 20-inch, and 30-inch, which is something you don't see any companies selling kits anymore. Hmm. Uh, my saw is a 14-inch kit saw. I would love it. Like, I mean, imagine one of the big problems with these saws is the just the size of it, right? So to sell two kits, right? Let's hypothetically 36-inch saw. Yeah, you can buy one and they build it and it's all perfect and they crate it up and freight ship it to your house. But what if it was a flat pack? What if it was all of the pre-cut metal and you weld it together, paint it yourself, assemble it? Or all of the hard to find components, like your the different bearings, all the different stuff, all the blueprints, everything. You go to your local steel manufacturer and get the steel. You cut it out or have them cut it out. And you're just getting the difficult parts like they did with these kits, which mm -hmm. I think is really cool. And uh, hopefully somebody listens to this and then goes out and starts that business and sends me a 30 inch saw and it. Yes. <laughs> no, but I, I do think that's really cool to like offer those types of options, which that option doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. People like DIY stuff. Why yeah. not? I think they should, they should, somebody should start that up. There was a kind of cryptic ad for international marketing services, and it just said, a unique service for marketing your products and ideas worldwide send one dollar and then it said strictest confidence assured and there's like a couple more things but sounds like they're in the business of stealing ideas <laughs> or your dollar mm -hmm. we didn't mention rocks or anything just they'll they have a unique service for marketing your ideas but you have to send them one dollar mm -hmm. they won't give you the information for free They'll send you like a single sheet back and it just says, take out an ad in Rock and <laughs> Gem Magazine. Yeah. There, there was an interesting ad for a feed egg for dryhead agates in Miles City, Montana, which is on the Yellowstone, ran by Paul Fry of Fry's Gem Shop. Now, the, the fee for this was twelve fifty for men and seven fifty for women. Which, if you adjust it for today, today's money, that would be $61.11 for men and $36.67 for women. And I thought... That's a well, lot. Well, first off, Miles, Miles City, that is uh, like to the east of Billings on the yeah. Yellowstone River. And I thought... I, I was thinking we could maybe chat about... Do you think it's a good idea... To have different prices for men and women. Well, first I was like, no, they should be the same price. But when it's you and me and we're like digging stuff, you definitely do more than I do. What is it like? Sixty percent, you know, more. You probably do that much more work than I do. But I don't know if that's necessarily reflected across everybody. 
Is it reflected? Is it? Would it be the majority? I don't know. If you took fifty-one percent, is fifty? If you took all the couples that ever go out and dig rocks, like physically, like swing a pick, like shovel, is at least fifty-one percent of those couples is the man doing the majority of labor? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Good question. I, I mean, think, probably a better way would be charged by age. I think there's an exception to this that's not taken into account in 1977, and that would be YouTubers, because oftentimes I'm screwing around with a camera, and you're finding good stuff. But that's so at that point, when we're just looking for things, I can be equal. But when you're physically like digging, I'm never do. I don't do that. Not usually. So maybe there is something to charging charging different amounts. Yeah, probably your best bet is charge for what people take home. Yes. Dogs dig for free. Yeah, like a digs too. Yeah. What about kids? Yeah, you could be like they're free because what are they actually doing? They're not actually like moving material, you know. Um about all I have for ads. I have one more. So there was an ad for a jig setup called a cab crowner. And I, I thought this was a really neat idea. So pretty much you can have a stone. Like imagine like a preform. So like you have your slab and you cut out, let's just say a 30 by 40 oval because I love picking on 30 by 40 ovals. And you can attach it to this jigging system and it will perfectly crown over that preform. So it's, uh, there will be a picture up on the website. Uh, you can go check that out, currently rockhunting.com slash podcast. Uh, but basically you would attach that preform and it moves up and down. And as you move it up and down, it produces a, a flawless dome hmm. on, on for a cab, which I thought that was really neat. Um, you know, I kind of, have a decent amount of experience in welding and fabrication. And in the welding and fabrication world, like there's plenty of jigging happening, like fixtures, you know, fixturing whatever to like make your jobs easier. I haven't ever really seen that in like the lapidary world. This is the first time I've seen something like this where, hmm. you know, I thought that was kind of neat. It seems a little, um, I think we're going to, at some point here, get into the era of cabochon duplicators. I think they started to come out in the late 70s, early 80s, mm -hmm. which if you don't know what a cabochon duplicator is, that's it's a machine that duplicates cabs, and you can have a metal template, and it just spits them out. And that's how, you know, I mean, imagine a warehouse in Indonesia spitting out cabs, and that's how people can buy cabs for $12. I can't make one for $12. Yeah. But they can. They can. And it's with these duplicators. But it seems like it's like small time duplicator almost for the, the home gamer, which I thought, those, thought that was kind of cool. That's the beginnings of it. Mm hmm. I have to see when that, when that ad first shows up. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. coming um, soon. Yeah, coming soon. On to the columns. The editors column the glory hole 
mentioned that someone is offering XRD identification services for the low price of $20, which is interesting. And it's actually a really good deal. Uh, really? Yeah. So they were... The, the glory hole column, he just... He, this w kind of ad for the X-ray diffraction rock identification service was clipped from some other newsletter or this guy's newsletter. And it wasn't even like, I'm offering this. He was like, within the very near future, I will have my X-ray diffraction unit operating. And then once he does, he's going to offer services to identify your minerals. $20 for X-ray diffraction. Five dollars for a visual ID. Mm-hmm. That seemed like a lot to me. Twenty dollars, which is ninety-seven dollars now. Yeah. That's not a lot. I mean, you can't get XRD services for a hundred bucks today. Oh. Speaking of XRD, um, Sarah, what happens at the beginning of November? Voting. My birthday's at the beginning oh. of November. Hint, hint. The Olympus Terra 2 portable XRD analyzer, which is built into a Pelican case, only costs $7,890. So you'd only have to do 780 identifications for it to pay for itself. Moneymaker. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's just like a, as close to a printing machine as we, yeah. could, we could get. And it would be an excellent birthday present. You traveled around to rock shows and made it known that you were going to be there? Mm hmm I guess they can't identify a rock. It has to be a mineral, right? It has to be like a pure specimen. Be, so the way X, XRD is pretty... It's not the end-all, end be-all of, of technical uh, identification. Uh, you have XRD, XRF, like you can, you know... Looking at stuff with a microprobe on an electron microscope, there's a lot of things out there. Um, with XRD, it needs to be powdered, so whatever uh, you want, yeah, it needs it, to be pure, and then you smash it into a powder, yeah. sieve it through a screen, and then you can insert it into the machine, and it produces an XRD wave, and then you can compare that wave to a database of mm -hmm. other known waves, and we can be like, oh. This that you put in there, quartz or cabazite or whatever the, the mineral is, but it does have to be pure. You can't be like a rock. Yeah, you can't. You can't Found take this in the river. Yeah, you can't take a piece of basalt with filled vesicles and figure that out. You'd have to like separate those things out. So. So part of it is your specimen gets destroyed. Y yes. Yeah. At least I, a portion of it. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. He said he'd give you a refund of half your money back if he couldn't identify it. It's pretty good. But what does that even mean? I mean, uh, you, you could just be like, I don't... Is he really going to say, I don't know? Or is he just going to make a wild guess so he doesn't have to give you I your money know. back? His visual identification service was twenty four was five dollars, which is twenty four dollars now, which seems high. I wonder how many people would pay that much money to have their rock visually identified. 
because people ask you to identify rocks and you ask them to read an article and they don't even do that. So who's going to, I don't know, I guess you, PayPaling $25, you should do, you should for, do for that the, when people. For the listeners out, out there, I get between two and eight emails a day. And the majority of those emails would be people asking me to identify a blurry photo of a rock and no other information. So I have a small article up on the website, and it's just kind of some basics, like how to take a high-quality photo, like some basic home tests that you can do, and the importance of location. And I think last I checked, I'm at like 93% of the people that I was like, hey, could you read this article before and get back to me uh, 93% of the people have not gotten back to me do you think if you were like PayPal me $25 first it would be and then I just respond with like go read this article <laughs> no then you would make a your best guess and be like you didn't give me good information but here's my guess do you think what's like a bigger barrier for people reading reading an article and then being like, oh, I got to go out in some natural light and take a picture of this rock. Ugh, too much work. Or like sit at your computer and like click your mouse a little more, like click over to PayPal. The barrier is reading the article. I can read the article in six minutes. I know, but do you think more people would just give you money yes, than read an 100%. article? Yeah. Maybe you should off. You should test that out. <laughs> Offer be like twenty dollars, or read this article and get me the best information. Mm-hmm. P.S. If you give me twenty dollars, it's not going to be an accurate identification. I'm going to start sending your money. I'm just going to start sending everybody a link to the Olympus Terra Two XRD analyzer and be like, if you buy this for me, I will identify whatever yeah. you have. Uh-huh. Free identification for life. Yeah. For the price of a used car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much else in the glory hole. No, it, was it wasn't kinda... like any sort of original writing. It was just like, oh, this person is offering this service, and that's about it. On to the frantic fumbler. And I have just about had it after reading 12 issues of Rock and Gem magazine with dopping. Stop wax, sticking stones to sticks. I've hit my fill. And in this one, uh, he mentioned that people, someone reached out to him that the clothespins that you can use for holding your dop sticks uh, are, are hard to find. And somebody's like, where do I find a clothespin? Well, he was calling them old-fashioned wooden clothespins, which... I know in the 70s, like, I mean, I, I, I wasn't born in the 70s. I was born in the early 80s. Uh, metal, the metal ones were, were popular because we had, like, a clothesline. And I remember distinctly the bin of, like, red and white wire clothespins. Like, were wooden ones hard to come by? Yeah, like, that's what we, I was wondering. We can buy the, you can buy them at the grocery store yeah, today. I know. That's you know, like, my, I mean, I, I can visualized plastic ones but i assume they would just be using wooden ones that's like the stand we 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 both touched a wooden clothespin today yes putting a sign out on our mailbox so yeah uh i didn't 
I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I was a, like, over. is that necessary to say where to buy? I, maybe the, the late 70s wooden clothespins were just out of fashion. There uh, was a lot of like reader tips in yes. this frantic fumbler. And Again, uh, the columnist not really doing much, not wanting to write a column. They're just like, there's some reader tips. Yes. Interesting reader tips. Sometime when I don't want to make a video, I will just take all the blurry photos that I've yeah. received in my email and be like, here we go. Here's some rocks. <laughs> some blurry, blurry rocks. Uh, some of the advice from the viewers was to do things like repurposing the Mattel Thing Maker as an electric dop pot. Now, at this point in time, I don't believe electric dot pots existed how we know them today. Mm. Uh, most of the dopping was done with an oil lamp and you would like heat up your wax or whatever and stick it on the stick and then stick that on your stone. And people that work with like opal and other more fine stuff will, will do that. Um, so the Mattel, Mattel being the toy company, the thing maker was like a little, how to describe this? You had like molds and you could like melt plastic into it and be like, I made a spider. Did you cook it? It like heated up and like that. It was like, just like a hot piece of metal like, you'd dump like was a liquid into and it would solidify. Oh. And they were talking about, oh, you could use that for your wax pot, which I think... Uh, that's kind of a good tip. That's kind sure. of a good, good tip. And, uh, yeah. All right. Take your kid's toy and take it out to your shop. Yeah. But all the other tips weren't that great. Yeah, they said one tip was put antifreeze with the water in your tumbler. If you tumble in a un, non-climate controlled space and it gets cold in the winter, mm -hmm. that seems like a bad idea, but I'm not sure why. I mean, I think that'd be fine. Huh. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to try, like, I, I don't, we, I don't have a rock tumbler because I don't have the patience for it. But yeah, I think it'd be interesting to get like some fifty-fifty dilute antifreeze and uh, try that in a tumbler. Maybe it's good. Yeah. On to the shop talk. The shop talk. They uh, they talked about spring cleaning, cutting down on the stuff that you don't need. And really ask yourself, like, you know, some questions like, when did I last use this? Will I ever use it? If I, if I lived to 100, will I ever do anything with this 39 pounds of poorly petrified wood chunks? And I, I've certainly gotten more picky. I think there's a natural progression that a lot of people go through when they start rock hunting where you're like, pick up everything. And then there is some value to that because you can learn a lot. Like, pick up everything, cut everything, and try to figure out what everything is is a very, like, educational process to go through. But at the end of the day, you're left with a bunch of stuff where you're like, hmm, if it... As you go to better and better places, like, your standards get higher. And I think... I like this. I like the spring cleaning, like pare it down, ask yourself, like, do I really need this? Like, you know, um, I think it's more of a problem for people that go to the same place over and over and collect the same material over and over. Like, at some point, you should just 
probably say I have enough. I'm not going to go back there. And I don't think my opinion is widely held. Yeah, but if you didn't collect everything you saw, what would you do next time you went there? Would you be like, oh, here's one, and it's the one that you looked at last time? You just like, you have to pick them all. Or you just don't go there anymore. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, at some point, you're picking up subpar stuff. Once you have the very best Oahe Jasper, you have the best cabs, the best slabs from it, and you have the best, the very premium stuff. Right, like a prime example. I'll pick on myself. I'm what I'm not so interested in Lucky Strike Thunder Eggs because I have some of the most premium examples of what a Lucky Strike egg is, and it would be next to impossible to cut more, buy more, dig more, whatever, and top what I currently have. I don't know. I think people are like, well, you never know. I mean. You might buy one, and it's better than what you acquire one, and it's better than what you have now. You never know till you cut it, so you might as well keep going. But I think your point is, you know, once you have a bowling ball size one, do you need to buy a bunch of baseball size? Are you going to be as impressed with those? Like Something to think about. Yeah, probably something more to think about. Not just during the spring cleaning phase of your... Yeah, generally speaking phase. (laughs) On to the articles. On to the articles. So, this was kind of a more uh, field trip oriented issue, but there were some lapidary things. And uh, the first one was wet broom casting. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, It was... An article describing how you take a straw broom and wet it. And ideally, you'd have like, it'd be like a hand broom, you know, like you'd have made for like a workbench. Mm -hmm. And you'd put it in like a tray of water. So the bristles soak up all the water and they're sticking up above the water surface. And then you would take melted silver and dump it on it. And it, Dump it kind of like in it. Yeah, like so it uh, goes down between the, between bristles, the bristles and makes a unique shape. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like petrified wood. Kind of looks wood wood grain ish a little bit. Uh, it it's neat because the modern day equivalency of this is not with a wet broom, and it's not even with silver. It's with Orbeez and aluminum, and that's like a super popular. Like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram niche where people like do this and they're like, I came up with the most neat idea. I'm going to take a bunch of wet Orbeez and I'm going to dump molten metal around them and it's going to cast an interesting shape. And here we are in is the it, 70s being like, wait, they're, wait, this has been done. It's been done. Does the Orbeez make as interesting of a shape? No. I would think it'd just be like a little round ball. For those that don't know what an Orby is, congratulations. Little... I wish I didn't know either. It's basically a little tiny 
absorbent plastic ball and then you put it in water and it soaks up a bunch of the water it's like a bead size ball it's small yeah they're small yeah and people dump aluminum around it and like make art i'm air quoting that because i don't think it's actually art just a thing yeah it was a pretty simple uh dump your scrap metal onto a wet broom <laughs> that was it i mean normally I, mean, I sometimes the how to do it articles are a little complex but i felt like i understood that one on to some field trips so the first field trip was Texas Selenite and Pyrite. And it's a field trip report where they're looking for these two materials. And I thought it was interesting because often in this trip report, they refer to pyrite as pyrite crystals, which is technically accurate. Yeah. But, like, people don't say, check out my pyrite crystal. No. Because, I mean, so I think crystals are amazing. Because it is the atomic structure replicated, right? So if you were to take an electron microscope or whatever and look at a a square piece of pyrite, the atoms form squares and they just replicate until you have this thing that's visual. And that's why crystals are cool and the main reason they're cool. So... Technically, pyrite is a crystal. Definitely. I have never referred to pyrite as a crystal, though. Have you? Have you? Like, no. I mean... It's a cube, a pyrite cube, a cube of pyrite. Or, or uh, you can get dodoctahedron pyrites. Well, Pyrites come in different shapes. Yeah. But usually, like, example, I, I, I like zeolites, and zeolites are crystals. But I'm never like... This stillbite crystal. I'm just like, you say the thing. Usually crystals, modern day, the way we communicate, crystals refer to something transparent, translucent, opaque, like more like in the realm of quartz. Like, you know, so maybe maybe I should start referring to more things as crystals that are actually crystals. People will pay attention. People sit up and pay attention when you use the word crystal. So just keep using the word crystal on things all the time. So my birthday is in November, and I expect an XRD analyzer. But right after that is Christmas, and you can always get me an electron microscope, and then I can show that every single thing is a crystal. Mm, Yes. You just have to get really, really small. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I saw one on GovDeals in Michigan, but it was, like, larger than a pickup truck, and it was from the 60s. Mm, Technology is a little different now than the 60s. Yeah, you can get electron microprobes now that, like, like are the size of, like, a coffee maker. Big, Big difference. Yes. I don't want that one from Michigan. Oh. Just FYI. Um, I thought this was a really well-written field trip article. Like, they really described the material, the pyrite and the selenite. They really described, like, basically their steps. Like, oh, we always prepare. They said they wrote to 
the uni- local university, like University of Texas, um, to ask him for a geology report of the area they were going to go to, which I thought was surprise not something I would ever think to do. And they said that the university department's head geologist photocopied excerpts of like reports of like a thesis and mailed it to them, which I don't know if you contacted someone now, like at a geology department at a college, would they be able, I'm sure they could, they would point you in the right direction, but being working at a geology department in a college doesn't mean you necessarily know about the local area. True. And you probably know enough to point someone in the right direction. Usually in geology programs, they do take their kids out locally to look at area things. But if you're the head of the department, you didn't probably go to undergrad at that college. True. You're like an academic. You're traveling around. I mean, I've, I've reached out to a number of professors yeah. with highly specific questions, and I've gotten unpublished works emailed mm-hmm. back. They've always been very, like, forthcoming, but I've also never asked, like, where are their cool rocks? I'm like... Well, they did ask for, I, like, you know, a geologic report of a specific area, so they didn't necessarily yeah. say, where are the cool rocks? But, yeah, I, I think if you have a very, like... Yeah. Uh, refined question reaching out to a university reaching out to instructors or whatever at the very least the, I, I don't think it happens very often yeah. because when I have done it I have immediately received a response and they were like super pumped to talk about the thing that I was asking them about which that's really cool if you're looking for some help also, it's a good tip for asking anyone for help. Don't be like, identify this blurry photo. And be like, hello, how are you? I was recently at this place. Here's some background. Can we derail the podcast for a second? Okay, so here's the thing. When I do help somebody and they don't like the answer that I've given them, which I'm maybe very, very confident, like person... It sends clear photos and the location that the rock came from. And it's something I know. And it's a dead ringer. Like, it's exactly this. But they still don't like the answer. They'll be like, that's not what I heard on Facebook. Or, I'm going to contact Nick Zentner. I'm like, I can only imagine that Nick Zentner has, like, a email box that's like a train wreck of unread messages. I would only, I can only imagine like, and I, I I'm speaking from a uh, somewhat educated perspective on this because I've had email correspondence with Nick Zentner and it's very slow because he's a very busy guy with like probably a billion people emailing him. And I was even messaging him about a very specific subject. Yeah. Someday your cross will, paths will cross <laughs> and you, you can bond over the train wreck emails you get. Uh, yeah, so they got communication from the head geologist who sent back photocopied geologic res, um, reports, which is cool. They said they went out to the area and they asked at the local store and the local store was like, 
I we don't we've never heard of rock hounding nearby. <laughs> Which I thought was funny because most of the field trip reports will be like, stop in at the gas station and they'll tell you all about where to go. Stop in at the post office. Like in this one, they're like, yeah, we stopped in and they didn't know anything. And you're like, okay, that seems more accurate. Yes, accurate. Yeah. The only problem with this was the picture was not great. It was quite blurry, but mm-hmm. perhaps that's a printing error or time otherwise i thought it was a really good article and it set the bar high for the other field trip articles that some of them didn't measure up the next field trip was oolite which i don't i would go for i would go if i if i was in southern california i would go collect some of this material but it is not like your traditional rock hounding material. Um, and they didn't even really explain what it was very well. Well, they kind of explained what oolite was, but they did not say anything about what you're finding there, really. And we've, we have oolite. We collected some in Utah. Yeah. And... Well, the oolite that we collected is, this, it's like granular. Yeah. Can it, is it big, is, can it be, apparently it can be bigger because they're saying you can cut it. Here's, here's where There's no photos at all in this art. Okay, so, oolite, it's a sedimentary rock, which is made up of ooloids, which are cemented together, right? And most of the oolites are, they're carbonates. So, like, limestones, calcites, whatever. And... It, so it's like a bunch of little balls a bunch together of little balls. in this article they in referred, a rock in this article though they refer to it as gem quality oolite, right so which i don't believe imagine a bunch of little like or like spheres of calcite like connected in almost like a uh conglomerate style yeah. like sedimentary okay. rock what's connecting them though connecting all these little ooloids would be softer than the actual ooloid and you can find them loose and it looked like imagine like a bunch of whitish orbs the size of like a pea did you like, see pictures of them yes how i looked i didn't see find any duck duck go image search Oh, but you just searched Oolite. From this location. I searched Oolite with the mountain's name, and I didn't find it. Oh, well. They're definitely there, and you can see okay. them on... You can find them, find them on Mindat. You can find an image of it. it. So they're just little white balls. Yeah. I Cause, I tried to find some of what they would call, like, a gem yeah. quality. I'm like, nah, I don't think that's not... I don't think that's really a thing. Um, one thing they said in the article, which I thought was kind of funny... Uh, they say oolite is a controversial term. Most rock hounds and gem cutters, it means petrified fish eggs. Right. I'm like, what? Did they mean like, what? as a joke, it's called petrified fish eggs? Or people literally think it's petrified fish eggs? I assume it's like a joke. I want to I wanna say, I want to hope that, that that's the... But then they didn't imply it was a joke and then the, but after that it said in mineral texts it's 
means small concretions formed around a nucleus. Which is technically, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, that's not a fish egg. So that has to be like a joking name, like a colloquial name. Yeah, I, I, when I looked at the index of all the articles, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like a lot of field trips, but it's like, uh, you know, Texas, like fa- places far away, nothing we've ever been to or close to. And I was like, but this one, I was like, oh, okay, we have some oolite. Let's, let's, is, I'm excited about this. And then it was not. Do you want to explain what our oolite is? Well, our oolite is from Utah. Shrimp poop. Yeah. It's shrimp poop. But it's like sand size. Yeah. Did you look at it under the microscope? Yeah, it's really boring. It's just like a little ball. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just sand. Yeah, so basically in the Great Salt Lake, the shrimp went to the bathroom a lot, and uh, carbonate formed around it, and now white the white sands... Was it like another lake in Utah, like glacial, some sort of glacial, not glacial lake, but like ancient lake something? Like it wasn't like the salt lake. It's older than that. Okay. I remember something. <laughs> there was another lake that like covered all of Utah or a yeah, lot of Utah. I, was it that? I don't, I don't I'm, know. Weird. I'm fuzzy on the details. Yeah, so we have some, but it didn't sound quite like this that they have in California. So if we're ever there, we'll get some. Yeah. I would. Hey, if we were down there, I'd totally go scoop up a jar of that stuff and be like, cool, and put it on the shelf. And, yeah. and that. There has been a lot of casting in the previous 11 issues. Uh, this is probably the best one that I've seen, though. And that would be Casting Big. Lost Whack Casting is not only for jewelry. And basically, guys, casting really large, like, animals. Like, birds and stuff. And, like... You know, uh, I thought that was just kind of neat to, like, take the Lost Wax casting process and ramp it up. And there's some pretty good photos in this article, um, and you can see this up on the website, but, like, guys, like, standing next to, like, a giant eagle that he casted. They weren't mostly very big, though. The other pictures were, because he did the... He mostly did what? Did he do all animals or mostly animals? I think, was, I think it was all animals. And they were on, like, put on a base of a mineral or a rock. Yeah. So, so they weren't all, like, big. I mean, for the most part, they were, I mean, yeah. Big, big as, big as in comparison to, like, casting a ring. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, imagine, like, you, you had, like, a, a rock that laid flat and it kind of, like, went up some and you could like cast a mountain lion and stick it on it it kind of reminds me if you've ever been to like a coastal kitschy uh touristy coastal town and there's like a piece of driftwood and they put like seagulls on it or something like yeah it kind of reminds me a little bit of that um but it said he didn't do the casting like the actual metal on the thing himself, like himself, he just made the shape, mm-hmm. and then he let somebody. He had somebody else do. Yes. Do it. That's cheating. <laughs> cheating. 
Um, there was one article in here that I don't know if you're skipping it on purpose, but it was very odd. It was about Brazilian opal. Did you even see it? It started in the middle of a column and it didn't have any pictures and it was like, oh, this reader is... What? Well, I totally missed that. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> it's like this read. It's like after the show dates, which go on for like five pages because it's one column of show dates and surrounded by two columns of ads. But it just says Brazilian opal, and then it says like, oh, um, this person, and it puts her name and address, um, gave the following suggestions, and it's like, six paragraphs on Brazilian opal because it was like new at that time and there's a picture like half so there's the middle column where it starts and then it goes on to the next page then there's a little image of a guy blowing into like a horn like an animal horn and like dogs jumping on him (laughs) obviously I, I read the whole article I was like wait what is this image how does this relate to opal and I didn't, I'm not sure what the connection was. It was a very odd filler image. Like, I can't believe I glossed over that whole article. Look at that guy. Yeah, that's weird. He's like blowing, he's got like a sword, like a fencing sword, and a dot. It's probably good advice for Brazilian opal. I don't really know much about it, but it was odd that they couldn't, I guess it wasn't, there was no stock. Was there stock photos in 1977? Probably not of Brazilian opal. No. They couldn't get someone to take a picture or put a little letter to be like, a reader sent us this. But I was like, why do we need this guy's address? 394 Mesa Road, Salinas, California. Like, I guess if you want to write to him and be like, ask him. It's interesting because I would never want my address printed in a magazine. (laughs) Very yes. true. I don't think I would want that. But it's a different time. Yes. Different time. Hopefully, you, the listener, enjoy agates, because we're going to be talking a lot about agates. Agate. Lovely agate. That's not my opinion. That's the name of the <laughs> next article. It's the most popular gemstone for the ab- amateur lapidary. I don't... I reject the word gemstone. Yeah, when I think of gem, I mean, I think of a gem as like a f- something you fast can facet and put into. S- well, the problem with the word gem or gemstone is that it, the definition is so all encompassing that virtually anything could be a gemstone. And no, no, like, would you? Yeah, basically anything that's not like country rock. You can call a gemstone. It's like, hmm, stop trying to clickbait me. Um, This article gave a pretty good overview on how agates are formed and discussed a few different theories as to how they're formed, such as single entry point versus the sweat theory. Um, And basically, those two theories, imagine you have a void, a a former gas bubble, single point of entry into that that void 
or the sweat theory, which is that uh, hot, silicate-rich waters are precipitating through porous rock into a void. Um, and I think, generally speaking, the sweat theory is less uh, talked about, less whatever accepted by people. And usually, like entry points are the are the are the way that people hmm. look at that. So, um, yeah. And then it went on to talk about um, went on to talk about the different ways to chemically change the color of an agate, which I thought was kind of neat. Uh, it specific- said agate coloring can be a kitchen project, which I they, never so heard anyone. I would love to find some actual good recipes. Um, this article had a great photo of a singular slab off of a Brazilian agate that they then cut up into like strips and changed the color of. They dyed it a whole bunch of different colors, which I thought was pretty cool. And I would absolutely try fun. to re- replicate that. But basically, you put up that picture on the website. Yes. Currently, rockhounding.com/podcast. The basics of it, though, is that there's a whole bunch of different chemicals that you will produce varying colors of like reds, blues, greens, whatever, and you can change the color of your agate. So dyed Brazilian agates are definitely a thing. I mean, people, I would say that they're not looked at highly. Yeah. They're, they're looked at with shame. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Nine out of ten rock shops are going to have them. And I'm assuming they're a big seller. Somebody can be like, cool, here's this little, I don't know, banded agate. Or here's this big and bright purple and blue. I'm a fan of people doing whatever they want to do with their rocks, so long as it's labeled, right? Like, uh, pretty much 100% of citrine is heat-treated amethyst. Yeah. Label it as such. Good on you. Go sell it all day. But don't call it real citrine when it's heat treated. Don't call your blue agate blue agate when it's a pale orange that you dyed. So, but yeah, and then, you know, it kind of went on to talk about a number of different, like, locations around the world with agates. It wasn't like a deep, deep dive into agates. Overview. Yeah, some of the single type of rock articles go really deep and too too deep. This was definitely this hitting, one hitting was the high notes. Pretty yeah, overview where they can be found, where they were found, where they are found, dying them, all that stuff. And it was the next article. It was followed by another another agate related article wasn't it the same author oh I didn't I, didn't. I think it was the same oh. author uh, Chihuahua agate the world's best it's now untouchable I didn't really read it because I was kind of good on agates <laughs> I feel like they should have saved it for the next issue well so Chihuahua is a state in northern Mexico and it does produce some incredibly high-quality Mexican agate. 
Um, you know, some of the beds down there, the mines for for this have dr dried up, and new ones have came online, and there's a lot of, like, uh, trade names for Chihuahua, Agate, you know, like, different lace and whatever bed, you know, and uh, it all kind of people that are experts in it can certainly draw a distinction between them, but to the casual observer, a lot of the agate just looks like highly colorful, highly banded agate, which, you know, that's cool. Um, I do have a hard time connecting with some of the articles where they're talking about, like, international material. Yeah. Because it's like, as somebody that doesn't really, we don't buy that stuff. Yeah. And we're, we've never been in northern Mexico. Yeah. Um, it, it seems just kind of like a little bit, meh, I don't yeah. know. You yeah. Know. It's neat, though. I mean, uh, obviously very pretty material. Uh, there was another field trip to Wyoming. For what type of agate? Turatella? Let's go with that. I didn't want to butcher it. But oh. I was going to butcher it. Yeah, it's a Wyoming Turtella agate, which is like a black agate with shells in it. I had a hard time understanding what exactly they're doing. So, in the Green River Formation, you can find this material, and it is a bunch of shells that filled with silicate and everything around them. So now you have like, imagine like big chunky sea maggot where the shells are embedded in the seam and within the, on the inside of the shells is also agate, chalcedony. Um, it's kind of like a dark green yellow color and you can, I mean, you can hop on Etsy right now and buy some of this stuff. Mm. And it does look cool. And uh, I think it looks cool as a specimen. Like, the shells are probably, like, an inch. So, like, it's not something you can make really jewelry out of. But, like, you can cut and polish, like, a chunk of it, and it looks good. Like, And it's, like, the kind of shell, I don't know what it's called, and it's don't know how to describe it but it's not like a hermit crab crab like that like where it's just kind of like a little tiny it's bowl like a long shape. cone yeah it's like a longer cone kind of uh, so it's a little neater like then there's most of the shells we find here are like a snail mm -hmm. shell which is interesting well, but a little less visually interesting than these ones yeah i there's actually a good paper written on the study of those shells. I read the abstract to it and still didn't fully grasp it because it's not, not my world. Yeah. Um, but it's still kind of neat. Like, you know, uh, if I was in Wyoming, I would 100% go there and be like, check this out. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Because you can still go there today. Yeah. You can still go there. Um, getting away from the agates momentarily... We have a fabulous article from our favorite author, Dixie Douglas. Memories in gemstones, creating beautiful frames for life's momentous announcements. 
This one wasn't too bad. I have seen things just like this growing up, and I actually kind of like it. I kind of think it's a little nice. Like, um, So she's saying you take your announcement, like birth announcement, graduation, wedding invitation, and you put it in a frame, and then you take your little tiny tumbled rocks and you glue them around it, like a flowers or something. Yeah, you would take your... I guess it's a rock that you'd probably not use for anything else coming out of a tumbler because it's so small. Yeah. And decorate so that it looks like you have, like, flowers with, like, leaves and petals using different tumbled rocks. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's very 70s in appearance. Um, I've, I mean, I, I remember seeing things just like this. So definitely tapped that nostalgia button a little bit. I don't know if there was stuff similar to this that was being sold commercially at the time, but most likely, I would assume, and that's you know, I don't think Dixie Douglas invented that the, the concept. But... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, out of all the articles we've read from her, that I would say this one was probably the best. I think she did one where she did a little tree out of rocks. Mm-hmm. That was the... No, it was tree... What was it? ornaments or a little tree something where we're like oh that's actually a good idea I, we would do that so this is number two okay we'll go with that <laughs> go with that um next one was uh lapidary focused and not lapidary jewelry making focus i didn't really get it it was called bracelet with a difference and it was a guy making a bracelet, the rock, the stone in it was opal, and he did like a freeform shape versus like a cab shape because the opal, the color bands in the opal didn't show. They were like at different levels, so he had to do a weird shape. Well, I don't understand why it was called bracelet with the difference. I think the difference is that it's just like a weird shape. I... Mm. When it comes to like making bracelets or a ring or whatever, all of these articles are basically 100% identical with a very slight variation. Very slight variation. For the most part, that's the same thing just being repeated. And... I've never made a bracelet, but after reading these articles over and over, I'm like, oh, okay, I could probably go bang out a bracelet because it's the same steps over and over again. And I get it. Like, I mean, in the silversmithing world, there's only so much. Yeah. Like, the process of making one ring with an agate or an opal in it is basically the same. Basically the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, some can be fancier than others, and like, but I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really. I was trying to figure. I didn't really get it. It was it was okay. Back to some field trips here. Heading all the way down to beautiful Florida, Sunshine State, or as the CBers call it. The Bikini State. Yeah, apparently. Do they? <laughs> I've, been, I've not heard 
um, a reference to CB culture, Citizens Band Radio Culture, because CBs were totally, totally a thing, um, and they're really not nowadays. But, uh, yeah, so this uh, field trip, uh, Florida Flints, there's more than coral and limestone in the Sunshine State. And I thought, yeah, it was kind of weird that, you know, he talks about how, like, most of the article, the field trips are, like, Southern California and Texas. And, like, yeah. Florida's kind of neglected. Um, CBs were really, really popular in the 70s and going into the 80s. And there was kind of, like, CB chat culture. Yeah. Um, I mean... 10-4 good buddy stuff like that had its own vernacular which I, is interesting um, I don't know if any of them referred to it as the bikini state I mean Wikipedia does not list the bikini state as Fl- Florida's nickname or one of their nicknames so it was a weird Wikipedia episode. this was a weird field trip because it was really all over the place the guy was like Oh, like, uh, I heard this. I plan on going here. It was kind of like aspirational, as well as like, oh. I heard that there was this material. I'm going to go there. Like, I, well, because he was like, nobody ever mentions Florida, certainly not in this magazine. And there's not really any good books. There's a mosquito in here. Yeah, where'd it go? He was like, there's, nobody ever goes to Florida. It's not mentioned in a magazine ever. There's not really any good books about it. So I'm just going to tell you everything I know about rock hounding in Florida. So that's why he was like, I've heard there's this here, but I've never gone there. There's also this thing. You can go here. So that was the point of that part. Uh, but the main point of the article was Florida Flints. On... Honeymoon Island. Mm-hmm. Which, that's cool. Yeah. He I mean, said they're not attractive, but when you cut them, <laughs> they look great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that's good. Like, there's a lot of interesting material in Florida, and um, it certainly has a lot of people talking about it nowadays. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, Oh, go ahead. No. When I was trying to look up this, sometimes when I look up the field trips, when I read the field trip articles, I look up, you know, where they are, try to find that spot on a map. And this one he was saying on the northwest corner of the island, there's, it was like dredged or something, and there was the, spoils or the the excess rock was dumped there and I tried to look that up and I couldn't I couldn't find it on any sort of photos um but it is a state park now and I used Gaia to look it up also um I looked up the bedrock layer and I was surprised they would have a bedrock layer for sand but they did and uh, hold on, let me get it. What is Gaia GPS? Oh, um, 
well, right now it's an app. So I'm using it on my phone. It's an app on my phone, but we also use it on our computers. And there's lots of different layers. Like I have the public land layer, so I know that it's state park. It shows me all the roads. It shows me also the geology bedrock layer, which is, oh no, sand. It's like super awesome uh, Google Maps where you have a whole bunch of different layers, satellite, bedrock, public lands, private lands, all kinds of great stuff. And it is a paid service, and you can get a discount by clicking the link down below and using the code currently, rockhounding. We'll put that link in the show description. It's Holocene sediments out on that island, hmm. which are basic, sounds like it's mostly all coastline of Florida below five feet are Holocene sediments, which include quartz sands, carbonate sands, muds, and organics. I learned that all from Gaia. So useful. I mean, I, 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 I enjoy it. But yeah, uh, I don't know. It's neat to see a trip report coming from, from Florida. Maybe we'll see more. Yes. Maybe they'll inspire some other future writers. Yeah. We're going to move back to the west side, which is the best side. I just made that up. Yeah. Uh, field trip. Nevada, Cal Sydney. So, the gem field site near Goldfield has five glory holes. Most of the trip reports are public. They're like places yeah. you can just go to. This, however, is not public. This is somebody's claim. And I... Basically, it's a mineral claim, a bunch of big holes... Um, except you don't get to go into the holes. The guy's like scooping it out into piles next to the hole and you can go pick through it. I do not like how he priced things. I take great offense to this style of pricing of material. The Chalcedony is priced according to the current market wholesale value, quality and quantity. Which I do not like that. It reminds me of how one of the places they do that for Oregon Sunstones and no. What do you mean they judge the quality of what you have? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. So like you go find stuff and then basically they look at it and they're like, yeah, so this is worth this. I'm like, no, I want stuff by the pound. Yeah. I want to know, I want to know that I can put 50 pounds in a bucket and I can feel that and be like, okay, $2 a pound, 100 bucks. I want to know that. I don't want to take it up to them and be like, yeah, well, this one's really good, so i got to charge you more. Like, no. Like, yeah, if you want to... too subjective. If you want to do that, go pick through it yourself and have, like, a, a, a premium, like, tier, you know, premium stuff, like, priced at a higher rate. But for a dig where you're out there yourself, like, no. Like, yeah. you know, like, um, that, w- that would make me really mad. Yeah. Because what, if it basically, if because you find good stuff, you're going to pay more, but maybe you don't, I don't know. I just don't like that. Like, can you imagine any other business doing that? Like, you go up, you go to the grocery store and you're like, oh, like, you pick a really nice pile of bananas and they're like yeah but these are the good ones we gotta charge you more 
I'm like, what? Get out of here with that. Yeah, that's... that's I understand bad. quantity, because almost every, uh, like, feed egg, if you're buying, like, oh, a ton, they will cut deals. Yeah. Like, big difference, somebody comes and fills up a bucket versus, hey, I have my pickup truck and a trailer. I would like to buy 2,000 pounds. Yeah, they're going to give you a price break. Like, everybody does does quantity price breaking, but not quality you pay more. Yes. I thought there was an interesting note in this article that was not really rock hunting related. Um, They're saying, you know, the roads to this site are good. You can camp along, after you pull off the main road, you go a couple miles to the claim and you can camp all along that road. And then they said, for for those of you without campers, both cities to the north and south have motels and restaurants. Do That's people nice. not tent camp in the 70s? They're not. Yeah, people tent camped in well, the 70s. You know, they're just like, oh, you don't have a camper, you need a motel. I mean, campers were very big in the 70s. Right. Like a little tiny uh, camper all the, trailer. Basically, all the field trips, they're always talking about, like, oh, we, we were in our camper that night, or we didn't know if we could make it up. The hill with our camper, like, they always, most of them do have. But do, do people not sleep in a tent? That's, like, not even on their radar? <laughs> to be like, well, you don't have a camper? I guess you go into a hotel. I had a tent growing up that was from the 70s, and it wasn't great. Yeah, maybe that's why. So, well, that about does it for the articles. Next time... We'll be looking at Rock and Gem Magazine from December 1977. Winter rock hounding. Make it a lapidary Christmas. Calcite. Jewelry making tips. Montana sapphires. And silversmithing. Yeah, that sounds, uh, I'm, what, how, we gotta know how to make it a lapidary Christmas. Next time.